Welcome to BuildCast, where we delve into the backstories of experts and other players in the built environment to reveal their journey and how they got built. Join us in our conversation to learn from their life experiences, to be the catalyst for innovation, and to make sustainable building mainstream building. Now here is your host and the principal thinker at Build Tank Inc., Robbie Schwartz. Perks Deconstruction provides a comprehensive and strategic deconstruction and demolition service that allows homeowners and contractors to salvage, donate, and recycle as many materials as possible during the building process. Anna Perks, owner and founder of Perks Deconstruction, is driven by the pursuit of offering more sustainable building and demolition options. She has more than 12 years of experience in the fields of sustainability, business development, and sustainable material management and is a strategic and visionary leader who strives to make deconstruction a viable and economical option for municipalities seeking to add deconstruction requirements to their building codes. It was a pleasure speaking with Anna and learning more about how her liberal arts background, like mine, gave her unique entrepreneurial skills to see a niche market that aligned with her sustainability ethic and the willingness to build a business focused on it. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, this is Robbie Schwartz with the BuildCast, and I am speaking today with Anna Perks, owner and founder of Perks Deconstruction. Uh, so how are you, Anna, and thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I wanted to start with uh, the name of your company, uh, Deconstruction. Instead of Perks Construction, it's Deconstruction. So what do you actually do? Yeah, so for those of you who haven't heard of deconstruction, it involves systematic dismantling of a building to maximize the salvage and recycle value of building materials. So instead of demolition where everything will get bulldozed and put into the landfill, we systematically disassemble the material so that we can salvage and recycle. Very, very cool. Um, before we go into more depth, uh, about that, I wanted to try to get an idea of how in the world you got into uh, deconstruction. What was your pathway uh, to to that? Sure. Um, I have always been really connected to nature and cared about protecting the environment. And so I, I studied environment and development work in, at Colorado College. I did the Peace Corps after college and I was down in Paraguay for two years focusing on environmental education and waste management. And while I was down there, the whole time I was thinking was, man, we're in the U.S., we're really the ones who generate the most waste. And if I could go back to the U.S. and really have an impact there, then that would be amazing. So when I finished the Peace Corps, I came back to Colorado and I worked for EcoCycle in Boulder County. I worked on policies there with um, zero waste policies and um, worked there for about two years. And then after that, went to Boulder County. I worked as a sustainability advisor. I helped businesses on their waste and recycling plans. Um, and then after working for the county for two years, I was like, man, if I could work for a business and actually be with inside the business, then I could make even more of an impact. And so I started working for an entrepreneur. We were making tote bags out of ocean plastic. And I was working for him for about two years and 
as I was working for him, meanwhile, I was watching all these houses get bulldozed in West Denver. And on one particular day, I watched a historic home on Tennyson Street get bulldozed and watched all the appliances, doors, windows, everything was just getting crunched and thrown into the same dumpster. So I reached out to the developer of that project and she offered to have coffee with me. And so I was asking her, you know, like, what kind of alternatives do you have to then just bulldozing this house? And I learned really quickly, not there's not a lot of alternatives. Um, one alternative that does exist is deconstruction, but there wasn't anyone in Denver that was fully focused on deconstruction. So, so my first thought was, great, I'm going to be a consultant and, and tell these people how to, what they can save and how they can save it. And, um, you know, that would be great. And then I realized, well, shoot, there's no actual contractor offering that service. And so kind of before I knew it, I had started a deconstruction business. Yeah. And um, that was in 2019. And I, I did so without a ton of construction um, experience. So I was all in deconstructing houses with my team. Um, the, the great thing about deconstruction is it's a, a really good way to learn how to build by disassembling a full house. You can yeah. understand how to how to build things. So um, in those first two years, especially, I was on most of my jobs, taking things down and then I was taking night classes with um, in construction and through the community college of Aurora, I took construction supervision classes and then did a, a boot camp, a construction boot camp through the Build Strong Academy, okay. um, which is uh, an amazing service in Denver. They offer free boot camps and they're funded by some of the bigger contractors in the state um, because their goal is to have more skilled labor out out in the community. So um, I was able to learn a ton through those classes and then um, have kind of connected with a bunch of different business mentors and advisors to, to grow the business. Wow, that's, that's really interesting. Um, I actually found out this morning about your Colorado College connection because I'm a, a CC graduate as well. Uh, oh, so no way. That's awesome. Tigers. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. Um, I was a uh, political science and uh, philosophy major though. So not, they don't think they even had a sustainable, sustain anything in sustainability at that time. I'm, I'm a bit older than you. Uh, you so. know, that's a, actually, I was political science um, as well. And they, they just introduced environmental issues in a, some sort of sustainable track my senior year. So I missed the boat as well, but I just, I chose to focus I called it environment and development work, but it was a poli-sci major. Yeah. yeah, That's great. That's very yeah, cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so there, you know, throughout my time, I actually live in Northwest Denver as well and, and, and probably saw that same house being deconstructed or, or bulldozed actually. And that's, that is uh, one of the problems with, uh, with these older neighborhoods and especially around uh the mile high stadium you know it's basically they have removed every old house and it's just a canyon of new townhouses three-story townhouses uh, over there mm -hmm. and that's happened in, in on tennyson street too which is a local kind of marketplace uh, business district uh place in in the denver northwest denver area but they there are a number of um, salvage stores over the years that have uh, been selling 
materials that have come from uh, deconstruction, I guess, of, of houses. But uh, what you're saying is that there really has not been anybody that you're aware of that actually focuses on the, the business of deconstruction. Correct. I, there are two other deconstruction companies. They do a lot of work around Boulder County and um, our companies in Commerce City. So we, we also have a reclaimed lumber warehouse where we sell yeah. reclaimed lumber and flooring. Um, but yeah, from my understanding, there's no other businesses just solely focused on deconstruction. Yeah. Um, do you think that the businesses in Boulder and Boulder County are there because uh, their codes actually require some level of deconstruction? Yes, I, I believe so. So the city of Boulder requires folks when they apply for a demolition permit, they have to have a sustainable deconstruction plan to show that they're going to divert at least 75% of the house from the landfill or the commercial building. Um, and they actually require a deposit based on the square footage of the project. And it's you get it refunded by showing those waste receipts that you actually recycled or donated that material. So it definitely has um, raised awareness. And now with that re requirement to put money down on the deposit, yeah. it's um, forced people to do more waste diversion um, and deconstruction. So I think I think so. Yeah, interesting. Do do you have any? thoughts on the the code itself and if it's if it's laid out well so that people understand what they actually do and is it enforced in any way and anything like that yeah, yeah i mean it, i think it's it's a work in progress i think um you know i think about 65 percent of our work is up in boulder county we do a fair amount outside but um i think it's it's a step in the right direction there's some um discussion on so they require a dollar per square foot so if you're gonna demo a 2,000 square foot house you need to put two thousand dollars down and then um then you'll get that two thousand dollars back if you show those waste receipts that you di diverted at least 75 percent from the landfill so i think there's some um you know overall discussion on is that enough money to put down? Is it just a, a license to dump? So then somebody who has enough money can just say, well, great, I'll pay the $2,000 just to bulldoze and take it all away. Um, it's so, so I, I want to jump in there real quick, because sure. just to understand, so you're saying that they can pay $2,000, for example, and not deconstruct the house, or they can deconstruct the house and um, and get a refund. Correct. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So on the commercial side, um, yeah, if it's a 30,000 square foot building, you know, that's a bigger type of deposit. Um, you also get a, whatever percentage that you diverted is the percentage that you get back on your deposit. So if you diverted 50% of the building, you'll get 50% of your deposit back. So, um, there is a little bit of a, a sliding scale there. It's not all or nothing. Um, there, the city is working hard on the compliance side and figuring out how to get more people, um, actually doing it. I think, um, yeah, it's always a challenge to figure out enforcement mechanisms. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I know they just assembled a, a, a group of folks that I'll hopefully be on, um, that in 
to help try to guide them and how to make it more contractor friendly and get people more aware of it. Yeah. Like a task task group or working group to essentially yeah group. working group. Great. Um, so from your perspective, what is the benefit of deconstruction? Why why should we be doing it? And why why are you seeing some jurisdictions uh, go in that direction? I believe the city of Denver in their their new green code, although the green code is an optional code, uh, they're going to be uh, requiring deconstruction as well. Right. Yeah. Denver is, is changing. I'm happy to jump into that as well. But in terms of deconstruction, there's a lot of great benefits to it. You know, right now, the way we do things with de traditional demolition, it's very linear. We um, extract the materials from the environment. We manufacture them into what we want. We build with them. And then at the end of the life, we bulldoze it and throw it all into the landfill. And, and then we start start the process again. And so deconstruction is a tool to get us closer to a circular economy, closer to zero waste, and it puts the material back into the local community. So um, it's it's a way to close the loop <clears throat> on on the circular economy. And um, so one benefit is giving this material another life. And, and an example is last week in Northwest Denver, we did a roof removal. It's It's really common to do you know, pop tops here. So <clears throat> people will remove the roof and they'll build a second story. And we spent three days to remove the roof. We recovered 7,000 pounds of lumber out of the roof yeah. and the house was from 1940s. So um, that type of lumber, you know, the, the rings are super tight. It's more resistant to decay. It's, um, you can't find that type of lumber anymore. When you go to Home Depot, you're getting a lot softer uh, wood there and just not as quality. So um, one benefit is we're able to give material that we can't otherwise find again, or it's really hard to find like lumber. Um, we're giving that another life. And then, um, as I mentioned, deconstruction is a great way to learn about construction. So it's a really good tool for workforce training and um, getting people skilled up in construction. Yeah. And on, another benefit is around air quality. Um, there's been some studies out of Detroit that um, when you bulldoze a building, pollutants are spread, like lead pollutants or other contamination, are spread several blocks in, the, in that neighborhood. And deconstruction is a lot more of a peaceful process. You know, we're surgically disassembling the building. Sometimes we'll use heavy equipment. Um, but otherwise, there's a lot less dust involved. And then, um, you know, and it, socially, we're able to provide more affordable building materials out into the community by, by donating them. And then um, homeowners or building owners are usually able to claim a tax deduction. So um, like in a traditional deconstruction house, we'll donate cabinets, appliances, windows, doors, all the lumber from the roof, from the, the floor joists, uh, any sort of HVAC equipment, um, that insulation, we'll bag that up and we'll donate that. All of that we'll donate, have donation receipts, and then we connect the homeowner or building owner with an appraiser. So then they're able to say, yep, we donated $30,000 to this nonprofit and they're able to get a significant tax deduction. So in some cases, people are able to make money, you know, they pay more, um, they pay less to get us to deconstruct and then make it back on the tax deduction. Um, so there's the financial incentives and then also 
keeping the material local in the environment. Um, and then overall, it's just a, yeah, a more sustainable way for us to do demolition. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, it seems like there's so many advantages. What are the obstacles uh, to doing it? Yeah, so, you know, if you imagine bulldozing a house, it takes one to two days and, yeah. and then you're done and it's, it's a lot easier and faster. And so with deconstruction, we take a team of five and we'll take about your traditional ranch style house. We'll take about 10 days to deconstruct it down to the foundation and then we'll excavate the concrete and recycle all of that. So um, one hurdle is the amount of labor, it's an extra cost. So um, we that's where we really look to maximize any sort of donation and help clients get that tax deduction. Um, so with the full house deconstruction, when you're comparing it to traditional demolition, it, it can be anywhere three to five times more expensive than traditional bulldozing. Yeah. That being that being said, um, you know, there's different levels of deconstruction. So when you look at comparing deconstruction versus demolition for an interior remodel job, you know, it we're we're very it can be cost competitive. It sometimes takes as much time for us to just unscrew a cabinet and donate it than it does to hit it with a sledgehammer and break up all the small pieces and and haul it out and clean it up. Um, but so so one hurdle is is cost when you're comparing large scale deconstruction versus yeah. versus um, demolition. And then um, I think it's just it's getting people to switch their mindset, especially in the sustainability world. A lot of people think about um, green building once the existing building's gone. Um, so trying to get people to shift gears to going, okay, what, you know, the, the sustainable project starts at the very beginning. So how do you shift gears into our, this existing building is a, a bank of resources that can be harvested. So, um, you know, kind of getting architects, designers, everyone thinking from the beginning, all right, what's here? Is there any material that we can reuse for the new construction project? If we can't reuse it, then can we donate it or can we recycle it? Um, so just overall getting people to think of their existing buildings as resources and, and assets is another challenge. Yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. Um, I was thinking while you were talking about uh, some of the things that you're taking out of buildings and uh, my experience is, is more on the new construction side, but mm -hmm. you drive through a community you know, uh, that's being built and the dumpster's full of material that is perfectly usable. And yeah. you know, it's, it must, I don't know if it costs more to, to take it back to the, the yard or, or you know, why they're, they're throwing it out. Um, are, is your um, uh, warehouse uh, an opportunity for new construction materials to be salvaged as well? Right now, we're um, we're just accepting material that we are removing from job sites, um, just from a labor standpoint of processing and bundling and being able to sell it. Um, in the future, I hope that we can accept more material. Um, I guess taking a step back, so in, in Denver, about 40% of our landfill is from construction and demolition material. And of that 40%, 90% of it is from demolition projects. So I, 
totally hear you. I see that those new construction projects all around and dumpsters are full of reusable material or nice lumber that just got tossed in there. Um, and then the, but the biggest chunk are, is from those demolition jobs. Um, so, um, but that, that is one thing about a challenge in general is about end markets. So where does all this material yeah. go? Do we have enough nonprofits? Do we have enough recyclers? And, um, you know, if everyone started doing this overnight, no, um, we don't have enough end markets. And I think just in general, one challenge is really increasing our, our reuse culture. We need to increase the demand for these materials and then um, have more large scale end markets, um, especially for wood. So we do have a local wood recycler that they'll chop things up and make mulch out of clean lumber. We have a lot of scrap metalers that can easily recycle scrap metal. There's a bunch of places that'll um, take concrete and brick and asphalt, and that's usually free or a lot cheaper than a landfill dumpster. Um, but when it comes to kind of, yeah, large scale sorting the material, we don't have any sort of large construction demolition sorting facility. Yeah. So speaking of the markets, uh, who Who's your biggest marketer? What what kind of market is there for deconstructed material? So we work with a couple different nonprofits. There's Bud's Warehouse in East Denver, and they're awesome. They'll come for free with a box truck, and they'll pick up things like cabinets, appliances, doors. We'll text them photos, and they'll say yay or nay, and sometimes they'll come the same day and pick those items up. Earlier this week, we did a bath remodel job, um, so we took everything out. For the contractor and just texted the photos of the bath vanity and the buds came the same day so they're they're a huge partner in denver for us and then up in boulder we use resource quite a bit um they are a nonprofit that accepts building materials they also have a box truck and will come for free and pick materials up and then um we'll work with habitat occasionally around denver and um there's also the national center for craftsmanship they're out of Fort Collins and um, they don't have a warehouse. We will sell material on behalf of them and then um, and then help the homeowners get donation receipts from from the National Center for Craftsmanship. So there's yeah, there's a handful of nonprofits that we work with. And um, there's also those large scale recyclers for for concrete, scrap metal, wood, etc. Do you know who their market is? Uh, so the, the your your market is is these nonprofits and and whatnot. But who do they sell it to or give it to? Yeah, I think it's a lot of people looking for deals. Um, you know, fix and flippers or DIYs, serious yeah. DIYers. Yeah, um, out of from our warehouse, we sell to a lot of people that are building tiny homes or uh, small. Like right now, guys been buying a lot of stuff from us was building a little ADU and backyard for his mom. Um, so it's, it's sort of, yeah, the serious DIYers I think are, are shopping at those places. Yeah. I wonder if there's a perception in the broader construction industry that if the material isn't new, that it's not going to work or maybe won't pass code or something like that. Yeah. That's a, yeah. So that's another challenge, right? The, so from reclaimed lumber and windows are two tough things for new construction. Um, windows, if they're not 
a few years, if they're older than a few years, it's difficult to meet current energy efficiency um, compliance um, standards. Yeah. So we a lot of times look to rehome those for people building greenhouses or artists that are have creative projects, not necessarily for new construction. Um, lumber is interesting. So the state of Oregon and Washington have within their building code um, uh, a statement that reclaimed lumber can be used for new construction. Um, in in Colorado, it would need to be regraded and recertified. And so there's such things as like traveling uh, wood graders, like a traveling doctor, and they'll come to your job site and they'll regrade your lumber and give you a certificate that'll say, yep, this this lumber is okay. Um, but it's an extra extra fee and an extra yeah. hurdle. And then it's kind of unclear once you have that certificate, if an inspector comes, do they accept the certificate? I, and that's where I've, I've gotten a little um, unclear for how how much you can actually use reclaimed lumber for new construction. You can absolutely use it for any non-structural work. So you can use it around, you know, your windows, your doors, um, around in, in your framing for anything non-structural. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. But to use it for large scale, it gets it gets more challenging for for permitted projects. So that's where it's, you know, we're working with a lot of folks that are doing kind of your smaller DIY type jobs. Yeah, interesting. Uh, when when you're taking out uh, lumber from a house, uh, are you changing the dimension of it, especially lengthwise uh, much? Yeah, we did learn in the last year, we can usually sell it faster if we trim the edges, um, ends, so people can see the rings and how nice they are. So um, that is one really great thing is we find really long spans usually out of these older houses. So um, from some of these roofs, it's 20 foot long, 22 foot long, two by six is two by eight. Um, so anything that we can keep as long as possible, we do, we just trim the edges. Um, or like with floor joists, you know, instead of spending time denailing the ends, we'll just use a saw and cut, cut them off at both ends. Um, so we're just trimming them slightly, but we try to maximize the length of anything that we that we take out. Great. Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about what Denver's doing because they're 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 kind of new to the deconstruction side. Uh, did you have any input uh, on that? And uh, if if so, can you tell us? Uh, if not, can you just kind of inform us what they're doing? Sure. Yeah. So last fall, 2022, the voters passed a ballot initiative called We Don't Waste and the bulk of the that initiative was focused on requiring compost and recycling throughout the city. So any large special events, any HOAs, multifamily units, everyone should have access to compost and recycling, um, including restaurants and businesses. And then at the end of this initiative, they included language around construction and demolition recycling. And it's pretty broad language as it stands right now, but it requires all readily recyclable um, material that includes concrete, asphalt, clean lumber, scrap metal, and cardboard to be recycled or uh, reused. It also says that there should be a salvage or waste recycle plan that is connected to the permitting um, at the city of Denver. 
Um, and it requires any for this sort of recycling these materials and then the plan for any project um, that has to have a demo permit. So anything 500 square feet or bigger would need need to have this. Um, the I'm on the city of council task force to help define some of these um, broad points. So we have the next few months to sort through what what the actual language and details of the ordinance look like. And then um, right now, as it stands, it's supposed to go into effect this June 2023, but everything will get pushed back. Um, the city's just not ready to take this on. And there's a lot more education that needs to happen um, with homeowners and contractors and all stakeholders. So it'll probably go into effect next year, June 2024. And um, they're working on figuring out the phasing. So maybe it'll be just a few materials like clean concrete that will first be required. And then, then they'll phase it in from their other materials. Um, so yeah, it's very much in the works right now, but it is, it is coming down the pipeline and it's good for folks to be aware of that. It'll somehow be connected to the demo permit and some sort of waste or recycling will be required. Yeah. And as you, you mentioned, uh, there are other municipalities uh, in Washington state and other places that are moving this direction. So it's likely that it's going to, to move across the country and more robustly, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, it's definitely like city uh, Pittsburgh passed deconstruction language, Milwaukee, um, the city of Lakewood here locally just included language around recycling certain building materials in their building code. Um, Pitkin County out in Aspen requires a certain amount of recycling and reuse. Fort Collins has some language around separating and diverting some material. So, um, you know, nationally, yeah, there's different cities that are popping up starting to go, wait a minute, we've got pretty big zero waste goals as a city or state and deconstruction or at least some sort of construction demolition recycling is it's going to be needed to meet their broader waste diversion goals yeah do you happen to know if most of them are are have a similar model to boulder and boulder county uh with the the, the fee structure yeah good question my hunch is it's a, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, I know like the city of Portland does have fines that are involved um, that if they see some sort of heavy machinery taking something down, there's um, there's fines. I do think there is a deposit system there. Their ordinance is interesting because it's based on the year of the house. So they had, um, I forget if it was like 1915 or older than the house had to be deconstructed. And then just recently they upped it to 1940 or older, the house has to be deconstructed. So their ordinance is a, a, a little bit different in that it, it depends on the age of the home. Um, but yeah, that Palo Alto um, has a big deconstruction um, community. So I, I think there's um, different ways to do it in, in terms of incentivizing, right? The carrot or, yeah. or coming in with the stick. Um, but I think most, most folks that are seeing are trying to figure out the compliance standpoint are starting to put some sort of deposit um, system in place to get people to realize they need to they need to do yeah. something about it yeah so going back to your 2000 square foot example they put down a 2000 
dollar um, uh, deposit, I guess, on that house. What what does it cost in ballpark range to deconstruct a, that two thousand square foot house? Um, if we're not doing the excavation part and we're deconstructing the house just down to the foundation, um, anywhere from twenty-five thousand to forty-five thousand to take the house down. Um, it depends on is there asbestos in the drywall? Is it already abated? Are we not having to do any of the drywall removal? Um, you know, a, a wood frame versus CMU block or stucco built house is yeah. different. Um, so there's there's definitely a few different nuances in there that, that change the price. Yeah, so I, I wanted to actually, you're, you're leading me to the next question uh, with regards to abatement and whatnot. Do you, does your yeah. company do uh, asbestos or lead or any of those things? Yeah, we used to be EPA lead certified and I just let that expire recently. Um, so no, we don't do any of that. We, um, houses before they get removed, they always have to be tested for asbestos. And so um, if that material is found, it's abated before we start the project. We do have most of the folks on our team are um, have received asbestos level four awareness training. So it is really common to, um, you know, find material that wasn't originally tested, yeah. you know, uncover it. Um, it could be found in popcorn ceiling or also under vinyl flooring um, or in the mudding of drywall. So our, our team knows where to look out for it. Um, and I know Portland has some studies that about 25% of the time their deconstruction teams find asbestos. So it is good for us to all be aware of it. Um, but yeah, we, we follow the CDPHE rules anytime 32 square feet or more are going to be demoed. you got to get it tested. And if it's there, it gets abated by a licensed company. Um, on the lead side of things, yeah, if, it gets, if it's tested positive, then we follow lead, lead protocol and yeah. get a certified contractor in. So when, when you say abated, I'm, I'm guessing it's basically like deconstructing it. You're taking it out, but you're taking it out in a, in a safer way. Yeah. They have to have a negative airspace. They, um, reduce the dust, have whatever type of dust extractors and are the correct type of masks. And, um, yeah. they have to use a HEPA vac afterwards to make sure it's all cleaned up and, and removed safely. And I imagine you and your crews are, are wearing uh, pretty substantial respirators and and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a challenge. We I try to get folks to use our half mask respirators um, with the pink filters, and yeah. those are kind of the best protection we have. You know, silica is a big concern with all the tile that we're removing, silica dust and, and exposure. So um, I'm always handing out masks and trying to educate and train our team. Um, you know, getting people to wear them can be, can be hard. So it's always, it's always a challenge as a building or as a, as a business owner, just trying to make sure people are, are following all the safety, yeah. safety protocol. Yeah. Um, is it difficult to find people, uh, interested in this work? Yes, it's been really challenging. Um, we, I think I heard recently 95% of construction companies are hiring. 
and we definitely feel that it's been it's been hard to find people i mean at the end of the day it's you know it's really physical hard work we're moving a lot of material it's um you know very labor intensive um so i think finding people that care about what we do um can sometimes be easier but then finding people that want to also care about what we do and then also get down and you know you're covered in dust and dirt and yeah. moving material so um yeah, we've got uh, my my uh, project manager, Clemente, he bought into our business and he's a co-owner now. He used to work at Resource, a nonprofit I mentioned. It's located up in Boulder. So he's an amazing person and runs our whole field crew. And we've got eight, a team of eight right now in the field. And then we work with a couple different roofing subcontractors that are really good at the production side of when we just need to, you know, crush through something. So yeah. um, we are we're managing it as best as we can and trying to find folks. But I think, yeah, we're, we're feeling the labor challenges just like everyone else. Great. So getting into the nitty gritty of, of doing the work, you're, can you explain the um, planning phase uh, that you have to do and, and what that, what that entails? Sure. Absolutely. So usually we'll have a general contractor or a homeowner will call and say, Hey, I've got this project. We want to, you know, we want to remodel our house or we want to take the whole thing down. So it usually starts with a site walk with the stakeholder. I'll look at the project with them and talk about the scope of work, what needs to be removed, what needs to be protected. And then as I'm doing that site walk, I'm taking photos of everything and I'm, also coming up with the waste management plan simultaneously. So if, for instance, we're doing a remodel job and the kitchen's coming out, the bathroom's coming out, the office, the flooring, I'm I'm gonna put together an estimate that lays out that scope and then also says what the, what the disposal plan is. So we'll salvage the kitchen, we'll remove the flooring and denail it and, and salvage that, we'll landfill the drywall. So, um, at that site walk, I'm collecting all that information and seeing the quality of the material and trying to assess what we can save and recycle and then putting that together in the estimate, sending that over to the, to the building owner or contractor. And then um, if they accept it, then we, we start our job. Um, we are usually, if it is a project where the homeowner or contractor want to get donation tax deductions, um, you know, we're, coming in at the first step is getting out anything that we want to save and reuse for donation. So it's taking out any of those types of items and then um, taking out any demo landfill from there and then getting down to the structure, taking out trusses, framing um, more of, of those types of materials. Um, at the beginning, if if we have enough space on site, we will bring, you know, a dump trailer for all scrap metal. Uh, we have a couple 14 yard roll offs. So we'll have a, a landfill, a recycle and a donation area for each item. And then we're, we're sorting as we go. Um, so kind of following that plan as we go, if we don't have as much space on site, which can be a challenge, um, then we're, we're working with what we have and, potentially having to move something twice if if we have to create a pile in the back or something. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, probably one of the, the biggest issues is uh, space on site. Uh, even in new construction, they've 
there have been studies and, and attempts over time to put multiple uh, bins on on site to sort as you go, and it just doesn't seem to ever happen. Yeah, um, I mean, in, especially in Denver, you know, smaller plots and, and whatnot, um, yeah. occasionally we'll deal with that where how we've overcome it, I guess, is we have to move that trailer the same day. So we're not able to set something um, there. And then, like I mentioned, maybe we have to create a pile in the backyard and then we can bring our scrap metal bin through. So it um, can be less efficient when there's less space. Um, and we kind of work with what we have. Yeah, interesting. Um, did you anticipate this is where your career would move you? <laughs> Um, not entirely. I, I've had, you know, folks or friends say, well, this makes perfect sense, you know, as much as I love to be hands on and kind of in the field and then also connecting with my waste, waste management background and sustainability passion. So um, I didn't see the whole construction, deconstruction side coming, yeah. but um, it feels really exciting to um, be in the space, especially with City of Denver starting to change some of their policies. And I'm really uh, focused on, I, I want to show other contractors that you can be sustainable and profitable and that this isn't some woo-woo thing that just this, you know, little company's doing, but that with large scale projects, it can make financial sense for everybody involved when you start to get tax deductions in, in there. And then also um, the right environmental thing to do in the long term. Um, so I'm really, yeah, when Clemente's bilingual, I can speak Spanish and we're trying to just, you know, lead by example in the community that this makes sense for all levels of contractors and subcontractors to be thinking about how to separate the material and, and give it another life. Yeah. How, um, it seems like overcoming the, the cost is, is going to be one of the biggest thing biggest hurdles to overcome uh that twenty five thousand to you know fifty thousand dollar cost to deconstruct uh adding that to the budget of an addition or even a new new home rebuild that it's a lot um how so it seems like i guess the the most common way to overcome that is is with tax credits or tax um receipts Yep. Yeah. Tax deductions is the best way to overcome that. The second way we've taken down two full houses in the last month, and they've both been with homeowners that were really involved in the process that wanted to make sure most of the material kept out of the landfill. And so they have been selling everything off the job site. Um, so they've made several thousands of dollars. They you know, sold the deck that we recovered and all the windows and all the bat insulation and wood flooring. And um, so the, kitchen cabinets, appliances, et cetera. So they've, they've made back a few thousand dollars in that way. The, so the city of Portland is about the same size as Denver. They have 12 yeah. deconstruction contractors and their market looks a little different. So um, I think I could see once more deconstruction contractors start to pop up in Denver, which I am so excited for the day to have more competition in that way. Yeah. Um, but once there's more contractors, then they, their market is such that they'll charge less, but then they'll sell the material to to make money on the on the backside. Um, we're not 
able to do that with the way our current business is set up um, or with the current reuse demand or market. Um, but that could be something, you know, in the next five to 10 years, we see more competition and then um, we could, in more people buying that material, then there could be more um, more ways to reduce, reduce the cost. One thing I, I was going to mention, jumping back to um, end markets and who our customers are, we've yeah. had some really cool projects um, in the last year or two where we've deconstructed garages and essentially we've, you know, kept them in panels. So we keep each wall together. We save all the trusses, um, usually from garages, just the asphalt shingles. And if it happens to have sheetrock on the inside, those two items will be landfilled, but everything else we can um, salvage. So we, we've been taking garages down. We'll, we'll bring a flat flatbed trailer in and we'll take down each wall, um, but keep each wall together. And so we resell it as a whole garage package, oh, garage door, pedestrian yeah. door, door, window, et cetera. And we've um, found a lot of agriculture, farmers, um, people from Eastern Colorado coming in to buy those garages and they're rebuilding them as, um, yeah, sheds, barns, garages um, out on their farms. Um, so that's been a big customer of ours or even like we just, we sell a lot of plywood and OSB to people building chicken coops and, um, yeah. and whatnot. So garages are a really good deconstruction candidate because we can do it just as you know within usually two days team of four to five people will disassemble the garage we'll keep it in those panels so that it can then be reconstructed and um usually we're able to donate it to ncc the national center for craftsmanship so the homeowners able to claim that they donated their whole garage to this nonprofit. um so that's where it's the the win-win is we're you know able to get it down in two days salvage most of it, um, give it a new home to somebody else who can, who can use it on their farm or wherever. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. While you're saying that I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, a company like tough shed or something like that, that would be mm -hmm. kind of an ideal candidate for these, uh, recycled, uh, reused materials because they're not held to the same standards as a newly constructed addition or, or, um, building there yeah have you worked with any of them yeah we haven't um directly i've reached out to a few small contractors that build sheds um tree forts yeah, yeah the tiny houses um but we haven't gotten a ton of traction with that we post a lot of our material on facebook marketplace or craigslist out of our warehouse mm -hmm. and so um yeah i think it's definitely an opportunity though i you're exactly right those types of people like why not they can definitely use reclaim two by sixes two by fours two by eights um yeah. and then we do like we just sold some material to a friend of mine christy turner who owns scraps a composting company and she just used um all the siding from one of the houses that we saved to repanel uh in addition for her house and she was able to mm -hmm. use windows and doors so yeah it's like I, there's definitely definitely ways to to make sheds and another creative reuse um, project. Cool. Yeah, I, you're in a really uh, uh, interesting space. I think it's going to be continuing to, to grow in popularity and and uh, I wish you the best of luck. Do you have any anything else that you think we should know about uh, deconstruction and, 
in your business? Yeah, I guess I, I, I always want people to think that, you know, there's a lot of low hanging fruit. So if there's any folks that are doing remodel jobs or contractors that are listening or architects, mm -hmm. designers, you know, there's, there's ways to just do the highest uh, value. We call it cherry picking, you know, the highest value material. So um, if someone doesn't have it in the budget to deconstruct the whole house, potentially they could at least hire somebody to remove the high value items that are the appliances, yeah. cabinets, interior doors. So there's different levels of deconstruction that can happen. And um, depending on people's budgets or the type of material that's there, um, you know, a little bit is better than nothing. And um, kind of starting somewhere to, to encourage people to capture some of that material instead of just throwing it away. Very cool. Um, I was just remembering that in uh, 2021, uh, I talked with Lori Johnson and Emily Freeman. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you know them? Uh, yes. They're construction and demolition uh, waste recycling folks. Mm -hmm. So they, I think, would take material that you're um, that you're generating instead of taking it to the landfill. They're how how are they doing and how are their uh, partnerships going? Yeah, so Emily Freeman works for the city of Boulder. She runs the deconstruction um, requirements there. And so she's really involved in uh, reviewing all the sustainable deconstruction plans and working with contractors to help help comply to that ordinance in Boulder. And Lori Johnson um, used to work for 5280 Recycling. You may have, I, I think maybe they were wrapped up by then or maybe they're still both involved in, they were, I'm doing a case study in Boulder on the hospital. Yeah. So maybe they yes. talk to you about that. And so Lori was um, involved with helping to get that material rehomed and reused. And so um, that was a, a big project for both of them. Emily was you know, involved from the city standpoint and then Lori was involved from helping to make sure all that material got hauled away and reused or recycled with 5280. Um, she's now um, involved in a couple other different things um, all within the circular economy type space. Yeah. So yeah, they're both doing well and still very much thinking about deconstruction and reuse. Yeah, great. Well, we'll put a link to, to that episode uh, in in the show notes for this this episode as well, uh, as well as uh, a link to your your company's uh, website and whatnot, so people can can find you and hopefully uh, use your services. Um, That'd be awesome. So one of the things that you you had mentioned is this idea of designing uh, for deconstruction. Can you explain that? Sure. Yeah. So designing for deconstruction involves designing a building that can be easily disassembled at the end of life. So one way folks have been able to do that is so walls that are easily movable. So or less glue um, under flooring so that we can pull up the flooring and more easily reuse it. Um, so it's a, it's involves kind of holistic thinking of let's make a building that can be more re, um, can be easily readapted or redesigned instead of the default being let's make it all go away and then start new. Um, yeah. So yeah, they're, in Europe they're talking a lot about designing for deconstruction. Um, it's difficult. There's a lot of things to balance when you're designing you have to think about energy efficiency so you know on one hand 
putting spray foam everywhere can be really helpful for energy efficiency, but from a deconstruction standpoint, it, it's really difficult. Um, yeah. So to to recover anything that's been just totally sprayed in with foam. So um, I'm I'm really hoping to talk to more architects and designers to to have that be another thing that they consider as they build is okay. How do we yeah? How do we use less glue and make this um, something that can be if it can't be moved more easily and readapted, then at least it can be disassembled and reused at the end of its life. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. When uh, I worked for a local builder, uh, McStain Neighborhoods back in the late 90s, and we, we would have these discussions about how can you design a building that could adapt over time? So mm -hmm. the thought process there was, could you, design a building and basically design an addition to that building, but not build the addition, allow people to do that maybe uh, over time or, or in the future at some point when their family grew or something like that. Uh, so that, you know, kind of in that same way, you're, you're, you're making that structure, that structure adapt to a person's life rather mm -hmm. than, um, destroying it and starting over, like you said. Yeah, yeah very interesting. Exactly. Very interesting. Yeah, very cool. Well, again, uh, thank you so much uh, for joining me. Uh, do you have a uh, Instagram? Do you guys, does Perks Construct, uh, Deconstruction do Instagram? Yes, we do. It's just Perks Deconstruction. Okay. And I we'll put... haven't been updating it as much recently, but we're, we do have a fair amount of posts on there. Okay, I'll put that on the in the show notes as well. Great. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Well, thanks a lot. And we'll catch up, I'm sure at uh, one of these happy hours. So that'd be awesome. Thank you, Robbie. I really appreciate okay. the chance to connect with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of BuildCast brought to you by BuildTank Inc. To see show notes and learn more about our guests and other episodes, visit the BuildCast page of our website at www.btankinc.com. Thank you, Ben Sound, for our music, and to Ashley Owen for editing it. And you, for your encouragement and guidance in the creation of BuildCast. You can listen to BuildCast on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite platform. If you enjoyed our show and are willing, please take a moment to subscribe and review BuildCast, which will help others find it more easily. Thanks again for listening, and please let us know who you would like to hear next, and if you have any suggestions to make BuildCast better. Until next time. Be safe and continue to think zero to 360.